Psalm 116.14 says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Tonight we're going to be talking about vows. We're going to be talking about oaths, lawful oaths. We're going to be talking about the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, Chapter 23 of Lawful Oaths and Vow. This is episode number 492, 492 episodes. Man, we are moving along uh, in the the episode sphere, I don't, I don't even know how many podcasts come around and they they last for maybe I don't even know. I'd, I'd love to do the statistics and find out. It's like how, it's less than like eight episodes, eight episodes and they die out. Yeah, yeah. it's very. But then you have like Reform Forum, who's like at 600 and something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 700, yeah, there, 800, there's, something like that. Yeah, there's definitely some good podcasts out there, uh, many that we would probably recommend to you, even above our own. Just say, hey, go listen to this one and get some good insight. Um, but, man, we've really been trucking 500 episodes coming up probably in two months. I think we'll get there. Uh, if you figure four weeks, eight more episodes will be there. So uh, uh, still deciding what to do for that 500th episode. I know I made a video earlier, and I want to reiterate that to those who may be tuning in. Uh, send us an audio of what you like about the program or dislike about the program. Maybe we won't probably play it, but uh, if there's something you like about the program, uh, send it to g220radio at gmail.com. You can send us an audio or a video. Uh, I don't know if the videos will, depending on how long they are, if you can uh, send those through email. But if you do, if it's short, you know, you can send it to us and we will try to get those up there. So when we have that 500 episode, we can kind of play those and put those out there of, of what you think about the program. If, you, if it's an encouragement to you, if you've appreciated the program, we would love to hear that from you. Um, go ahead, Mike. So, if you have a video or audio, if you like put it on, most people have a Gmail account. Therefore, you have a Google Drive account. You can throw in Google Drive. Make sure you share the link and allow us to view it. That's all we need. And then we can download it and edit it to make it sound, make us sound really good. And then we can pre present it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what we do here. We try to edit things and edit things to our favor. No, just kidding. Um, that's why we go live. So you get all, you get everything for, <clears throat> excuse me, for 500 episodes. When we get there, 500 episodes of G220 Radio, with the exception of a few. There's been some pre-recorded programs that we've had based on either um, trying to get a guest on that could not come on during our live times of, of Tuesday nights or even when we started on Monday nights was when we actually began the program uh, <clears throat> was on Mondays. And so we moved it to Tuesdays. And sometimes a guest was unable to be on on that time. So we did pre-recorded shows and then played those out. Or if there was something we were going to miss, uh, because of something going on throughout the week, we would, again, maybe put a pre-recorded show up. But for the majority of our programs, they've always been live. So you get the good, the bad, and the ugly right here with G220 Radio. We, when, when technical difficulties happen, you're with us. When other things go wrong, you're with us. So, and there's no editing. You know, as many times as I might say, um, or, 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 or pause, or, or Mike does, does something like that. We don't edit those things out. We just kind of roll with it. And that's been G220 Radio for almost 500 episodes now. Yeah, 500 episodes of Ricky Gant's voices. Voice. That's right. That's right. And so uh, I'm excited, looking forward to that. Uh, I think it'll be a good, a good program. Uh, still, like I said, we got to iron out the topic. But something I was thinking about today, Mike, I was thinking we'll probably do Chapter 24 
of the London Baptist Confession of Faith next week as we try mm-hmm. to end this series. And and Mike, we were talking, and I know this is a joke that Mike has with me about you know finishing some of these series that we've got going on. But I was thinking, we've actually finished quite a few series, if you think about it. I mean, we did the spiritual disciplines. We finished them. First John, second John, third John, we finished it. 1689, we're coming close. There's 32 chapters. We're on 23 tonight. We're coming close. And then we'll get back into Proverbs. But uh, doing good, man. We're doing good. Yeah. One of those is I planned out to finish. We'll just... Yeah. Hey, hey, we still got it done. That's the thing, man. We still got it done. So um, doing good with uh, these programs. Hey, if if there's a a show you would love to have us talk about a a topic, um, shoot it our way. We would love to discuss it. You know, I think that there's there's never there's never an end to what we can Mm -hmm. talk about when it comes to the word of God. Right. Especially. Yeah. Especially in passability. You know, make sure you send those. Yeah, Mike Just really wants to over. do a show on that. And if you don't know what that is, then you really need to send it in and say, what is that impassibility? Let's talk about that. It's been a show I've been trying to get on for like over a year now. Just put it that way. Yeah. Inside so, jokes. Yeah, inside jokes, inside jokes. So as we get into this, man, let me um, let me go ahead and... Mike, why don't you share with the listeners who may be tuning in for the first time in the series of the 1689, why confessions are important while I go over here and try to open up this chat. Yeah, so confessions are important um, in a, because they're distilled systematic theologies of what we believe the Bible to say. And there's really kind of three types that we use this on. Uh, creeds are one, so you think of the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed are very short statements that usually protect... They usually talk about a topic or two. So the Nicene Creed covers kind of the Trinity and focusing on the Son specifically. Um, Confessions are longer treatises that we talk about what we believe the Bible is saying about topics. Usually God, Jesus, salvation, man, end times, and there's some other topics. Usually the topics are framed in which they are written in. Um, so like a discussion between the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 and the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession, the um, BFM, the Baptist Faith and Message, talks about Christian education. And what does that mean? It's not a topic discussed in the Second London. You don't have a lot of baptist schools around where you need these types of thoughts and confessions so there's a sense in which confessions are products of their time but they also can be used for just to grow and to know what the bible says they're short and they're stilled and even more so when you add the catechism with it which they normally go together a confession normally is I guess sometimes has a catechism with with them, which is a short, which is a question answer, which talks about these topics in a little even more distilled sense. So the first question of the Baptist catechism is who's the first and chiefest being? The answer is God is the first and chiefest being. And those go together as they teach kind of in tandem 
with them. And so that's the importance of confessions. It tells us what we believe. It allows us to express in our vernacular what we think the Bible expresses as a whole. Because it's hard to sit down and just say, yeah, I read the Bible. That's what I believe. Well, the Bible's a big book. Now, we should read yeah. the Bible. We should believe what it says. We should study it and understanding it. But a confession helps us to know what we believe. And biblical confessions help us to maintain the orthodoxy. So the Mormons have what they believe. They have confessions of the church. And so it's what they believe in the Bible. So in that way, it's a confession. But it, we would say it's a false confession because it doesn't accurately explain. But it's still, they use it the same way, that this is what the church holds and believes, and this is what you teach in accordance with. And so that's the importance of confessions. We should all... We should have confessions. We should know what we believe and be able to um, be able to give a distinct view. Um, and that's why churches post short statements of faith is uh, probably the modern term of it. Um, but they're the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They, they are really important um, for you to have one. If, a, if you go to a church website and they don't have a statement of faith, I'd be kind of weary. I'd be wanting to inquire, especially if it's a place you're thinking about maybe even visiting. I'd want to inquire, what do you guys actually believe? Because there's nothing on your website that says that. And so what a confession of faith is, they're longer. These these older confessions are longer than what you, you may see, like Mike's saying, than some of these statements of faith that you may find on a website today. But, I mean, it lays out what it is you believe from the Bible. It's the same thing like, Mike, what's the name of your church? Cosmostel Baptist Church. Baptist Church. A lot of churches today are taking away, and this isn't a push just to say you got to be in a Baptist church, although we're both Baptist here, you know. I'm, so, uh -huh. but this, what, what we see is a lot of churches now, they don't want to associate themselves with a certain denominational name. They want to be non denominational and not have those affiliations. And we could get into, we're not going to, we can get into discussing the pros and cons of those things. Um, but when Mike tells me he goes to Cosmo Dale Baptist Church, I have an understanding of what uh -huh. he believes. Now, I'm not going to know everything because even within Baptist churches, there's going to be some differences, whether it's a Reformed Baptist church or a non-Reformed Baptist church. However, you're going to at least understand they're going to believe in, they, they're going to hold to believers' baptism. They're going to practice the ordinance of the Lord's table, you know, um, and, and they're going to do things kind of uh, from a congregational standpoint when it comes to ecclesiology that's that's what what for the most part baptist will hold to so you're going to get some idea and so i use that as an example to say when somebody says i believe the bible as mike was saying well what do you believe about the bible what do you believe about god what do you believe about jesus christ because you could tell me you believe the bible you know i hear that all the time in evangelism some people will say well i'm a bible believing christian okay well what does that mean and then you start to talk to them, and you find out they don't believe in the Trinity. Well, what, you're not really a Bible-believing Christian then, right? So a confession is laying down what it is you believe. So when people ask me what, what it is I believe, I say, hey, I, I adhere to the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. If you really want a detailed understanding of what I believe, 
You can go look at it. The only thing that I disagree with in the 1689, and I don't disagree to, I, I disagree to a, an extent. Let's say, I don't believe the Pope is the Antichrist. I believe he is a Antichrist. Okay? So, that being said, you know, um, he is an Antichrist, but he's not the Antichrist. So, but other than that, I'm pretty much in line with the 1689. And even within that, I mean, we talked about the Sabbath last time. Uh, and there's even within that people that hold to the 1689. Some may be really strict Sabbatarians and some may be strict, but not as strict as another Reformed Baptist church. So there's there's room in there, but at least gives you an overall understanding. This is what we believe. This is why it's so vitally important. And then you think about what is chapter 23 in there for? Why would they talk about lawful oaths and vow? Now, when you think about what's going on, when this is being written in the 17th century, we're talking 1689, it was actually written before that, but this is coming out 1689, right? And you've got the Westminster Confession of Faith. Presbyterians always say, it's we just was looking over their shoulder and copying you know, these things down. That's what the Presbyterians would tell us with the Westminster. And you have the Savoy. Uh, declaration, but then you have this London Baptist Confession of Faith, and you got to remember that there were things going on politically, uh, so to speak, it's politically uh, going on, and they are trying to address certain things. So now you have with this the Anabaptists, you have Anabaptists who were completely against taking oaths and vows, they were completely against it whatsoever, they would not do it. In, in a court of law, they, they would not do that because they look at Matthew and they say, well, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't swear by anything, <clears throat> right? <clears throat> Excuse me. And so um, in writing this, you're going to see the, the Westminster address it, the Savoy address it, and the 1689 address it. And there's going to be some differences because the Westminster and Savoy will say it's actually a sin, it's a sin for in, in, in paragraph three, and we're not there yet. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but I just want to show this distinction. Yet it is a sin to refuse an oath touching anything that is good and just being imposed by the lawful authority. That is in the Savoy, and that is in the Westminster. But the 1689 is different. And we're going to talk about that. So stick around when we get to paragraph three. Okay. But this is what we're going to get into here tonight. So that's a little bit of context of, of their writing these things out and addressing things that are going on in society. Now, Mike, I got to be honest with you. <clears throat> like, I had to... Excuse me, my throat's getting a little raspy, but I had to refresh myself on this chapter because it's not one that I spend a lot of time in, to be honest with you. You know, I've, I, you don't really think about these, and I had to think, man, this is something within the 1689 where we're talking about this as a... It's a it's a uh, um, <clears throat> part of religious worship, and we just got done doing it with worship. This mm -hmm. is part of religious worship. So let's look at paragraph number one. Yeah, and it's also no that's right before the civil magistrates. Yeah, I think that'll yep. come important too. Yeah, and and that's and if you listen to any of our early shows when we've had on the different pastors, Fred Pugh, uh, um, Mike Waters, Mike Waters, Josh Tinkham. You know, when we had some of these guys on, David Charles, they were explaining, <clears throat> man, my throat's really getting raspy, so Mike, you might have to carry us. But my, my, uh, um, when they were on, they were explaining how the, the 1689 was laid out 
in order the way it was strategically. It wasn't just, uh-huh. hey, let's just put this one here and then this one here. No, it strategically was laid out. So as Mike said here, we talked about worship last week and the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, and then we talk about all lawful oaths and vows and then the civil magistrate next week. So very, very uh, strategic in their placement. So number one, paragraph one, a lawful oath is a part of religious worship wherein the person swearing in truth, righteousness, and judgment solemnly calleth God to witness what he and to judge him according to the truth and falseness thereof. Yeah. I think right away to notice that they make a distinction about oaths. It's lawful oaths as opposed to unlawful oaths or oaths that would be um, done in sin, causing sin or something like that. Um, to, to think about it. So there is a, di- a distinction in oaths. And it is interesting, and I didn't put much thought into it, probably should have, that they consider it part of religious worship. Now we do see in the Jewish, or Jesus addresses it, about how people say, well, you can't swear by the altar, you swear about about the, um, the gift on the altar. It's not the necessary the temple but the gold on the temple mm-hmm. or in the temple and so you see some of these religious the swearing worked in with the religious practice of the people and so i think a lot of times i think we just think of oaths as secular in that way there is no bearing spiritually on oaths i think we should really consider about is that certainly the case and if we start invoking god's name is it now strictly just you know a an oath or is it now become part of the worship yeah and the one thing with oaths and and Oaths and vows are going to seem similar. However, an oath is between two parties, like me and Mike making an agreement. And mm-hmm. what you're doing is you're when you're making this oath and you're swearing by God as your witness that what you are agreeing to, you're going to keep it. And God is your witness, who is the highest authority. So God is the witness, whereas a vow is between you and God. You know, you're making this vow with God. And so these are very serious. I mean, you don't want to just um, make these oaths flippantly. When we talk about the commandments, the Ten Commandments, and that's take the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? The first table of the law. You do that not only by—I know people make a a huge emphasis on saying, oh, my God, in a derogatory kind of way— and say, oh, you're blaspheming God's name. You're taking his name in vain. You're using it flippantly. Or when we see Jesus Christ referred to in a in an uh, expressive way of disgust or disdain towards something. 
and they're using that as the means by which they're showing that disgust using his name, basically almost as a curse word. Um, and we say that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. But also when you are taking an oath before God, you are also violating that because you're saying between you and me, as God is our witness, and then you back out of that agreement, you're, 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 you're violating that command. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the Baptist catechism, we think about, so it's asking what is required in the third commandment, this is question 59. And the answer is the third commandment requires the holy and reverent use of God's name, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. So what is forbidden? In question 60, the answer is the th third commandment forbids all profaning and abusing of anything whereby God makes himself known. And then what reasons are annexed to the third commandment? The reason annexed to the third commandment is that whoever whoever the breaker of his commandment may escape punishment from men, yet the Lord our God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. When we think about what we say, like just calling ourselves Christians, that God has worked in us new life, and we profane his name by swearing to some, to swearing to him who doesn't break any of his oaths and then we turn around and break them we don't unhold that we don't do as what the confession says we don't swear in truth righteousness and judgment we profane who god is we put shame on him and if we are to be his image bears here as his new creation we say that god doesn't keep his promises and that's not true makes yeah. us a liar yeah yeah absolutely as we look at now paragraph two uh, and there's five paragraphs today and so uh we're going into paragraph two here <clears throat> It says, uh, the name of God only is that by which men ought to swear, and therein it is to be used with all holy fear and reverence. Therefore, to swear vainly or rashly by that glorious and dreadful name, or to swear at all by any other thing is sinful and to be abhorred. Yet, as in a matter of weight and moment, for confirmation of truth and ending all strife, an oath is warranted by the word of God, so a lawful oath being imposed by lawful authority in such matters ought to be taken. So there's a lot, a lot there. You know, just even in the beginning when it says here, the name of God only is that by which men ought to swear, and therein it is to be used with all holy fear and reverence. I mean, when you think about the scribes and those who would, would uh, write the word of God, how they would take very careful, careful consideration in how they transcribed the word of God as they were writing it down. Because they took the name of God very serious, right? Uh -huh. 
And yet today, honestly, I, I think even when we think of uh, of oaths and vows, Cynthia said, interesting, never realized the difference between an oath and vow. And I think also, like, we never realized the seriousness of this right here, what we're talking about today. Because here, when we're taking, and how often, I've done it myself in the past, where I've said, I swear, in you know, by God, you know, uh, to somebody when I'm trying to to... to let them know, hey, I'm telling you the truth. And, you know, I swear on, on God's name, right? Mm-hmm. You don't realize that you're, there's no holy fear and reverence for God. This is a serious thing that you're doing. But he's yeah. also the highest thing by which, the, the highest one by which we would swear. There's no there's no higher authority than God. And as it goes on to even say, therefore, sw- to swear vainly or rashly by glorious and dreadful name, uh, or to swear at all by other things, how often do we also hear this? I swear on my mother's grave, or I swear on whatever it is, you know, um, that you're swearing all things by. good. All things right. good. That is to to really, I mean, that's to blaspheme the Lord. And we don't really think about it as being as serious as it is. Because we just, we've, we've gotten so comfortable in a culture where we just shoot and say things out and not again, not realize this is serious. Yeah, when you think about that, so for that part, they quote Matthew 5, which you mentioned earlier, and James 5. And so, Matthew 5, verse 33 through 37, we see Jesus giving in here the first initial teaching in Matthew's, the first block. Um, Matthew is set up with five blocks of teaching with five kind of applications of those teachings and stories that illustrate what he is talking about. And so we see here in chapter five, telling, talking to his disciples on the mount like Moses, he says, again, you have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall, swear, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is its footstools, or by Jerusalem, for that's where the, the city of the great king is. And do not take an oath on your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Just let, let what you say be simply yes or no, nothing more than this comes from evil. And James 5.2, which is also quote, is similar. Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven, swear by he- either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fa- fall under condemnation. I think what you see here and what the confession is getting at is that idea of there's nothing here on earth that has the value in which you are to swear on. Mm -hmm. And there's also the idea of integrity. If you say you're going to do it, you do it. If you're saying you don't do it, don't do it. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And you can kind of see this in this teaching, but Jesus doesn't negate negate oaths. He'll talk about it later in in the Gospels. Um, dealing with the Pharisees. But when we we think about 
kind of that idea, the seriousness of it. Yeah. That when we make an oath, we're making an oath by God's name, that glorious and dreadful. I mean, think about the God who's glorious, but his name brings dread because of who he is, the sinless God who will punish the wicked. And so, and, and as you know, we are even, you know, we, we are just flippant with our valves. Yeah, I'll do that, you know, and, and then not do it. Um, it should really cause us to stop and to think, um, more deeply about what we're saying yes and no to. Yeah. And the one thing I want to encourage you to do, because like we're going through the confession here and we're, we're taking our time to kind of go through each chapter. But to be honest, we're not exhaust like being that exhaustive in it. There are proof texts under each chapter and under each paragraph in, in each chapter under the paragraphs that are there. And so I would encourage you to go and look at these proof texts. Now, understand proof text within the confession you know, a proof text, people can take a, a scripture and try to use it out of context. But the way that the the uh, the intention of proof text within the confession is they're giving you some scripture as references while considering the scripture as a whole. OK, uh -huh. that's how they do proof text. Anything other than that, if you're just getting like false teachers will use proof text to try to prove a point of something where the scripture doesn't even mean that. But as the confession is doing is they use these proof texts to say, here's some scripture to support these things that we're stating, but we also must understand the scripture as a whole, okay? But one of these proof texts under there is 2 Corinthians one twenty three, And from the NASB uh, 95, it says, "But I," and this is Paul saying, but I call God as a witness. He's, he's stating this to, to these individuals, called as a God as a witness to my soul that I that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth so he's again this oath he's saying to them look I'm calling God as my witness he's that what I'm saying to you is true right um so we see that there there's some others under there Hebrews 6 16 uh, Nehemiah 13 25 um, the, the two that Mike had already mentioned and so there's those proof texts under there but you're also going to see as a whole you can look in there, where you're going to see oaths in the Old Testament, and you're going to see vows made, right? <coughs> All right, so let's, well, let's see here. That was a long one. Oh, and, and also, let's, before we move on to the next, I, I knew there was something else in there. Is, uh, it says, so a lawful oath being imposed by lawful authority in such matters ought to be taken. And where do we see that today? I don't even know. I, I have not. I have not ever had to go to court and sit on uh, the, the stand to be a witness for anything, mm -hmm. right? Um, I did get called to jury duty, but I never made it to the jury. Like I went in the waiting room and then the trial got canceled and I never had to go in. So I've never had to do that. I don't even know if they swear people in um, by God anymore or if they just they put your hand on the Bible. I'm not, I'm not aware of that. But we know historically that has been something that has been done but lawful and it's talking about these lawful authorities it ought to be taken <clears throat> yeah i mean you see it um i mean yeah we still see it with government officials 
Um, even those who serve in the military are take an oath. Um, you know, I saw me swear, you know, to defend, um, the con defend the constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic, um, that kind of, uh, mentality with it so oaths are and I still know, I, I know but, i believe and i don't know if they've changed it it would end with so help me god yeah when i was in they told you you didn't have to say it if you didn't feel comfortable so you you, you had some of that but it does end in that way and i mean so you, you can see even in that when someone joins like the military considers that not only did you sign your name on the contract, you, you're taking this oath and that is to, and that would bring about judgment if you fail to do it. And so we should, again, think about the oaths that we're doing and that there are times we have to make lawful oaths. Um, I saw, a horrendous incident. I had to speak to attorneys. It had to go to court to settle for insurance and how that was going to get paid. I had to make statements and swear by my statements or swear that my statements were true, that what I spoke wasn't um, contained with falsehood. Obviously, attorneys drill you and you have that in the, the statement I made with the police the time of the incident is there. We, we do this all the time and we should take those things seriously because I mean, the Bible says if you accuse someone and it turns out to be false, that you get the punishment. And that should be mm -hmm. a very real thing we think about when we start making oaths about the truth, about what we've seen, especially against other people and in settings like the court or the defense of the nation or just serving your nation as a politician. Yeah. Yeah. Deuteronomy six thirteen says it is the Lord, your God, you shall fear him. You shall serve and by his name, you shall swear. Huh. <clears throat> so as we move on to uh, this next paragraph, uh, chapter three or paragraph three, excuse me, in chapter 23, um, whosoever taketh, an oath warranted by the word of God ought duly to consider the weightiness and so solemn an act and therein to avouch, which means to affirm or to assert to avouch nothing, but what he knoweth to be truth for that by rash, false and vain oaths, the Lord is provoked and for them, this land mourns. So there's, there's some weightiness here of the taking the solemn act of an, uh, of an oath. Yeah. Again, we should do things that make us, we should consider what we are doing before we make an oath. You have that idea that rash, rash or being false, knowing you're not going to do it or the vain oaths. Do not bring God glory. God doesn't make vain oaths. God doesn't make right. false oaths. God doesn't make rash oaths. 
when you think about what he did with Abraham, when Abraham had cut up the animals, they set up to make a covenant, to make an oath, or to make a covenant, God traveled down that himself. And the animals to would represent what would happen if you fail to uphold the covenant. But God sweared by himself that he would keep the covenant with Adam or with Abraham. Yeah. And it wasn't a rash oath. It wasn't a vain oath. God knew what he was doing when he was doing it. He had, in his infinite wisdom and holiness and righteousness, knew what he was doing when he took upon it, when he did it. And we are called to do the same. And to think about not only what we are doing and is it lawful, is it right, will it promote what God wants to promote, but also we should think about, we should stop and do it. And I think in our culture, we just don't do it. We don't stop to think about anything. We just react. And I think this really is a call for us to stop and to think about the truth of what we are doing before we do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it says the Lord is provoked here and the scriptures tell us fathers don't provoke your children. We're not to try to provoke the Lord. Right. Uh -huh. And one of the things that we could have mentioned earlier and we'll mention it now, but with these Jews, when you talk about Matthew five, and when you talk about James, the, the Jews did a lot of business dealings with each other. There was a lot in the city gates, a lot of business dealings, a lot of things that they were doing. And one of the things um, that many commentators have uh, stated is that when they would swear by the name of God, they would use and come up with all these other names to say they're speaking of God, but they're really not talking about God. Like as was mentioned in Matt, don't, don't swear by the heavens or the earth, you know, um, so that when they back out of these business deals, they can say, well, I didn't swear by God's name. I swore by heaven or I swore by these things. And that's when, when Christ is rebuking them for that or, or saying, don't do this. That's, that's what was going on. And so we're not to try to provoke the Lord. What happens? One of the proof texts here is Leviticus 19, 12. You shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of God. I am the Lord. So they're, they're, you're profaning God's name. This is why I, I don't think, as, as I've already stated, we really consider how serious it is, these lawful oaths that we take and make with one another. It's not so simple to just, like you said, you know, just be rash about it or false about it. Or you're just trying to get somebody off your back, you know, and so you just say, oh, I swear, swear by the Lord, you know. Um, this is, it's, it's a serious thing. We don't want to provoke the Lord to anger. Yeah, and the Lord will have his vengeance. You know, you will suffer the consequences of it. And that should really consider us, especially as Christians, as we want to be like God. Right. So we're called to be like him. We're called to be like Christ. And what kind of witness about, does it show if we're not? Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's 
as you mentioned, it's defaming his name, who he is, his works, his words. And we do need to consider all of that in the oaths when we do them. Yeah, and, and even going back to when he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, when you think about that, like, it's not that we don't, that the Bible doesn't speak about making these lawful oaths, but we should be so consistent with a godly character as believers in Christ that when we tell somebody, yes, we're going to do this, they know, hey, I know Ricky, I know Mike, I know so-and-so, and they gave me their word, I can trust their word is true. Unless something comes up that completely hinders them from doing it, I know they're going to do what they, they said they can do, you know? And that better be the only reason you don't do what you, you said you could do is some, some emergency came up and it prevented you, right? But when you give your word to do something, then you should follow through with that. Because when you don't, again, you're profaning the name of the Lord. And people are looking and saying, this guy says he's a Christian. And every time he says he's going to do something, he, he doesn't follow through with that. Right. And it's a bad representation of the Lord. Now, this is the paragraph that I mentioned uh, the Savoy and the Westminster ads in there. Yet it is a sin to refuse an oath touching anything that is good and just being imposed by lawful authority. Now, again, lawful authority, we're talking this is a reaction to the Anabaptists who were uh, they weren't going into the courts. Now, there was a lot of things dealings going on at that time. Uh, civil magistrates types things going on in that time. And the Anabaptists would not go and make any oaths. They just wouldn't do it. So the Westminster and the Savoy say it's a sin not to do that. Where the 1689 backs off and says, well, you know, like, okay, if they choose by their conviction that they are unable to make this oath because of their understanding of reading those passages... By their, we don't want to say it's sin, but it also is is include saying they ought to be taken. We're not saying it's sin, but you should do it. Yeah. All right. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> That's that. all I gotta say. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's go into uh, let's see here number four. So paragraph number four it says an oath is to be taken in the plain and common sense of the words without equivocation or mental reservation. So it should just be plain and common sense, you know, uh, using common definitions so as to avoid confusion. You don't want to confuse somebody when you're trying to make these uh -huh. oaths, right? Just make it plain, no deception. Uh, what do we see? And sometimes with lawyers and things that, you know, I'm sure there's some really good lawyers out there, but many of them, they want to slide things in there, into the agreement. You know, they want to kind of word it in such a way. I see this, and, and you can let me know if you think this kind of applies, with ordinances for cities. They put things in wordings that aren't so, it's kind of vague, and then they can kind of just, oh, you're violating this ordinance. Yeah, but it doesn't uh -huh. really say that. Yeah, but somebody's complaining. Well, that's subjective, and they can get you on it because it's not specifically clear. Yeah. Um, you have that. And really, it helps 
when we think about it again to go, God is clear about his oaths. You know what he's going to do mm-hmm. with it and the call with it. And that should be our same things. Cause there's, when you start using loose language that would kind of allow you to interpret it your way, which may someone may interpret it differently and you're doing it intentional, there's a sense in which you're trying to deceive. Mm-hmm. You're trying to manipulate um, like those ordinances. You know, what does it mean exactly that your yard can't be full of noxious plants? What's a noxious plant? That may, what's for you may be different for me. It's not clear Mm-hmm. on what that means and that's an ordinance here in louisville and that's you know what if i like noxious plants like this is just who i am i'm gonna have to look that up now i don't even know what a noxious plant is it's like it's like um weeds like a lot of weeds a lot of um things that just doesn't make your lawn look good. It's kind of, it's very, it is very, um, play like, like that is like Danny lines could be considered like a noxious plant. However you want to define that. Mm-hmm. I want to see those people try to control Danny lions, <laughs> but, and again, it's being clear so that, People know this is the intent and to be with it. The, in the story of Southern seminary, every professor who becomes a full professor is required to sign the abstract of principles, which is an abstract of the 1689 used to keep the school, um, doctrinally stable you know the story of southern in the seven really started in the 20s its peak is in the 80s but it becomes liberal you have liberal professors who are signing saying they affirm the abstractive principles but they deny the inspiration of the holy spirit the inspiration of the bible mm-hmm and what you see is that they weren't taking the plain and common sense of the word. So when they were signing their names, they really didn't believe the, the abstract of principles. They, they were taking an oath. The oath was very clear that you sign this without any mental reservations. Mm-hmm or teaching contrary to the abstractive principles. And yet they would make equivocations to say, well, yeah, I do believe this, but this is how I would understand it. Mm. You know, like, for example, we do at Protestants. We like to say that Catholics believe in works and how we view it we believe that Catholics believe in salvation by works and cause how we view it, it looks like it's 
grace plus things that I have to do. You have to maintain your status of grace. But Catholics say that, no, we believe that you're saved by grace alone. And, you know, and then they kind of explain what that means. That's the idea. Like, if you have a Protestant and Catholic document and they both say, well, we believe in grace. Well, they don't really believe in this grace in the same way. Yeah. This is what it's talking about. The oath should be in plain in common sense. And this is why R.C. Sproul had a hard time signing like the Manhattan document and Roman Catholics and Protestants together. Mm -hmm. Even though the social issues he agreed with, there was confusions over the doctrine and he didn't want to sign a document saying he affirms this when Catholics and Protestants have different beliefs for the same word. I think this is where it becomes important on what we subscribe to, what we hold to, even in confessional statements. Yeah. I'm looking at this. Uh, <clears throat> it's weird. I'm looking at this chart that shows the Westminster and Savoy and <clears throat> man, my throat is losing it and London Baptist Confession. But as we get into five, it's showing that there's a part of it that's not there that's on the other two. And I'm like, wait, the 1689 has that. Why is it not showing up? So I don't know who put this chart together. But <clears throat> anyways, it just kind of threw me off there. So let's go on to number five here when we talk about a vow. Now, a vow is something you're making between you and God. Okay. Well, that's where the difference comes in with the oath. This oath is me and Mike make a, uh, an oath between each other and God is our witness. Right. And then a vow is where we're making vows before the Lord uh, or or God making vows with with his people. As we see, he makes this covenant with Abraham. Right. He goes through. He walks through the 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 animals that are sacrificed. He makes this covenant. He puts it all on him. <clears throat> all right. So it says a vow which is not to be made to any creature, but to God alone is to be made and performed with all religious care and faithfulness, but popish mon monastical vows of perpetual single life, professed poverty, and regular obedience are so far from being degrees of higher perfection that they are superstitious and sinful snares in which no Christian may entangle himself. Now, again, as we talked about the Anabaptist, you also have to understand what was going on with Rome at this time. Um, we're only, mm -hmm. you know, a hundred and some years, you know, almost 200 years from the Reformation, right? Um, well, starting in 15... 172. Okay, 172. Close to 200, right? So you've got that going on, that context where you're doing this, you're battling between who's in charge, Rome or, you know, the Anglican Church, you know... You got the the Baptist in here, these particular Baptists here with, that are writing the 1689. You got these Anabaptists, all these different pieces in play. And so here it's telling us that a vow, which is not to be made by any creature, but God alone, and is to be performed with all religious care and faithfulness. One thing right there I want to say, I don't want to spend a lot of time, but one thing, a lot of times we say, well, you know, Christians aren't religious. It's not about religion. 
It's about a relationship. Can we stop that, please? Can we just stop? Of course, Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ, but it is a religion. And here the 1689 is telling us this is made to be performed with all religious care and faithfulness. Okay, but then it is addressing the popish things that are going on. This monastical vows of perpetual single life. You're not supposed to be doing that. Right? Um, uh, profess poverty. Like if you want, if you're convicted that you want to live a celibate life or a single life of never marrying because you feel that you've been uh, maybe given the ability by God to to go and be single for the rest of your life and just focus upon his his uh, his will for your life as far as you maybe you want to go and serve in certain contexts as a missionary here or or get involved in the church. That's your right with your Christian liberty to do so. Don't go making vows about it. Same with if you want to take power. If you want to live a, a life with very little means, you know, and give so much back to either your church or to the, the community, whatever it may be, so be it. That's your conviction. You can do that. You have Christian liberty. Don't make vows to do those things. That's what it's saying here. Yeah, but... You know, to add on, we have to think about what these valves were intended. And the the confession tells us mm-hmm. um, they're there to try to, in one sense, sanctify us here, a higher perfection. Mm-hmm. And when we consider the monastic movement, even very early on, asceticism is very much a part of this. It's denying yourself in a in a way in which you deny God's gifts, God's good gifts to us. Now there are times to abstain from God's good gifts, mm-hmm. food for one of them. But what they have here and what they is is that and you, you still today in the Catholic Church, that it is holier to be perpetually single than it is to be married. You're now we agree, and Paul mentions it's better off to be single than married because of the worries. But God has blessed humans with marriage, and it's an important part of God's creation to do it. Where the monastic movement went wrong in that idea is thinking that in one sense, and this is unfortunately kind of Augustine's view, um, or at least he's thinking about these things, that the benefits of marriage are not blessings. Uh, Some of that comes from Augustine's own life, and wrongly he asserts that. But this idea that in order to gain favor with God, I need to be single, I need to be poor, and not accept God's gift of money to us in wages earned. It's not sinful to be rich. It's sinful to become rich wrongly it's sinful to love money more than god but it's not sinful to be rich 
Now you're accountable to the dollars you use. Are you using them for the glory of God and how, you know, there's freedom in how you use your money. I'm not saying you have to be giving it all away, mm-hmm. you know, but God has given you a good gift. And what the monasteries did was kind of shun God's goods gift, thinking that they can become more holy. And a lot of times to knock off years in purgatory. And again, you see the superstition and the sinful snares. Yeah. And at times a holier than thou look at them kind of even pharisaical, maybe at points. And so we need to consider these vows. Um, some people vow to be single. Um, to be an instrument in God's hands. And they they feel the call to do it. And I don't think the confession necessarily says, no, that's a wrong vow. But again, it's again, why are you making the vow? What's the heart about it? And, and again, like oaths, don't do it rashly. Don't do it spur of the moment um, well, see, and to think about those things. Yeah. See, I, I, I think I think the, the confession is saying don't make that vow. But again, you have the liberty if you say, you know, I'm going to not making the vow before God and say, Lord, I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. <clears throat> and then 10 years from now, you meet some girl and you're burning with your desires and you want to marry. So it's that caution, right? It's you have yeah. the liberty to say. Um, as you were saying, you know, you have that freedom, that liberty to say, I'm going to like abstain from having a relationship or marriage at this point in my life. Cause I want to go to the mission field. I want to go serve in this context. I want to do these things and I don't want to have not saying that's a burden. I don't want to have those responsibilities and those worries of having a family while I'm doing this. And so you can have that liberty to do so. Um, but if you're making that vow before God, again, this is a serious thing. This is what we're talking about, oaths uh-huh. and, and vows, and you're making that vow before God, and then 10 years later, you meet this woman who's, <coughs> you know, you feel strongly, uh, you know, wanting to, to marry. Now you're going to break that vow. I, I think that um, <clears throat> also, I'm not going to say this is the only reason that leads to, like, Roman Catholics with all of the the scandal with, you know, these priests with young boys and whatnot. But if you take away that, that opportunity to have those desires, because the, the Bible tells us if you're burning with those lusts, have a wife uh-huh. so you can fulfill those desires. But do you, you make these vows and then you're trying so hard to do something you can't do in and of yourself. And then all these perversions come. And I think it's led to a lot of, I've even heard within some of these monasteries, some of these, these uh, uh, Roman Catholic um, monasteries where you have the priest and these nuns, there's a lot of things that go on in there to fulfill these. So they're not, they're not even keeping up with what they know to be uh, or should know to be uh, uh, biblical truth from God's word, you know, fornication and whatnot. But it can lead you into that sinful, sinful lifestyle. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't think a lot of it 
when you think about it, it's the popish monastaco view of perpetual singleness. Again, but as you're saying, we don't know the future. And to make, I think, a rash, I think it would be rash to say, no, I'm just going to be single for the rest of my life. Um, not knowing what God has in store um, for you. I'm, I mean, that's you can, but it is does seem a very unwise thing, especially if you start going towards the Roman Catholic mm-hmm. uh, understanding movement, even some of the the more subtle um, asceticism that comes with it. That, um, frankly, is not really going to bring you a better holiness. You know, going to the desert and trying not. And to deprave yourself of food for as long as you can because you think it's going to make you holy is foolish. God has given us food as a gift to enjoy um, through him, not to worship him. Yeah. And I think that's when you start getting into – you know, yeah, denying these good things. Right. And even even – even sex, you know, in the mm-hmm. marriage, in the marriage union, you know, uh, he says, you know, like, um, don't Paul saying, don't withhold that from your spouse unless it's for a short time, right? And for prayer, and for prayer. So, so these are good things given by God. You, you mentioned already about money; it's a gift, good gift from God. It, it, you don't have to live this life of being poor as a Christian if somebody is wealthy, um, you know, but. There are. That's the great thing about the body of Christ. You have people who are at the lower end of the, you know, financially, and then you have people that are, are wealthier, and they come together and they put their resources together and they're helping to build this body up and to to serve mm-hmm. and minister this in the, within this body. So it's not one or the other. That's the great diversity about the body of Christ: different ethnic backgrounds, different socio standards, different you know uh, culture, different financial, economic where you where you're coming from, and the body of Christ is one body: the hands, feet, the you know the head, well the head being Christ. All this coming together, right? Um, and so you are not making these vows to take and say, "I'm going to live a life of poverty. I'm going to live a life of singleness." I'm you're, you're saying if, if, if that's a conviction you have that you're going to do for a time being, and it may be, you may go your whole life as being a single person. I know of a missionary lady who has spent her whole life devoted to God, serving God, teaching children. And, you know, she went as a missionary to Africa and then came back and served in the Baptist church that I was growing up in and serving and, and writing even a, a club curriculum for, for Bible kids because we was a smaller, smaller churches. It's harder for them to afford to, to take and, and do Awana programs. You know, if you don't have a lot of people to support it and, and work in it. So she so she's used by God and she spent her whole life single, you know, and then she was she's content with that. She wasn't seeking to, you know, uh, uh-huh. get married. And so it may happen. But again, we're talking like not making those vows to do those things, because, again, we don't know what God may have planned for you down the road. And there's another example. There was a guy in my church who was like in his 50s and he was single all this time. And then another church came in to help revitalize this church and kind of work together. And another older lady around the same age came from that other church. They're married now. You know, so this guy, you know, later in life thinking he's probably going to be single his whole life. And then he meets this woman. You know what I mean? So 
those are things we don't aren't in our control. And I think what the confession is trying to state there is these are serious things, these lawful oaths that we make between man and man and these vows we make before God. So don't do it rashly. Think about them. As Mike was saying, like really think these things through. Don't just jump on making a quick decision in things, but think these things through because they're serious. And we are called to be a witnesses for Christ. And how are we going to let that light shine if we're just making these unlawful oaths or just making oaths with everybody, declaring things, and, and our yes is really not yes? Yep. That's all I got. So Mike's got it. All right. That's uh, G220 Radio's episode for tonight. I hope you enjoyed the program. Next week, uh, we will be getting into uh, our next chapter. Uh, which will be 24. And we already talked about, we're talking about the civil magistrate next week on G220 Radio. If you'd like to hear a topic that we would we could address here on the program, email us. Right there's the email, g220radio at gmail.com, g220radio at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Remember, if you would like to take part in our 500th episode of G220 Radio, send us a audio either to g220radio at gmail.com or go to g220radio at gmail.com and do the what'd you call it the mic the google drive and you can drop mm -hmm. it in there and, and and use our email there and we will get that and we'll be able to edit out all the the negative things you say about us and just keep the good stuff no yeah no but try to keep them short because uh we do have a show that we will plan to do and so we will have a topic we want to talk about but we also want to be able to appreciate those who listen to the program who take the time and are encouraged by it uh and so we want to we want to thank you as well any other thoughts mike if you have any criticism we're still sending that to george i know he hasn't been on the show for a while um but he deals with um still yeah george and then whatever george doesn't go we send it over to natty p yep so and he will, of... Natty P will be with us for the 500th episode. So what? So. Let's see if we can work exciting. it out and get George in if uh, his schedule will allow it. We'll see. Um, but these are brothers that were part of the show in the past and uh, have moved on to bigger and brighter things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we love those brothers. Appreciate them. And uh, uh, we're thankful for them. So that's been G220 Radio for tonight. Uh, episode number 492. Uh any questions comments you know where to find us and let me get over here so i can get this video up god bless good night